Hello, and welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome to the second week of Epiphany, or this will be for the week of January 14th. 2014. And before we get into the readings for this week, I want to just thank you for all the positive feedback I've been hearing and all just the feedback I've been getting from multiple of you. I thank you so much. I'm looking forward to receiving more feedback as we kind of go through this journey together. I'm just really excited to keep this going and love to hear your feedback and suggestions on how to possibly make this better. So as we get into this week, I'm just going to remind everybody that, again, I love using Working Preacher. It's a great website for being able to kind of just get me on the right path. A lot of good commentaries there. And again, they're not a sponsor, but I just wanted to say that I love using this website and that I'm not an ordained minister. So this is kind of how I get my path and where I'm going. I love listening to the Sermon Brainwave podcast. If you haven't checked that out, it's a great podcast to kind of go through these different readings, give some background, especially for preachers on kind of where impossibly to go through with some of this stuff. And I love using it to kind of help give me some guidance for this podcast. So, as we get into it, the different readings we have this week, we are going into John this week instead of Mark. We will be reading from John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51, which is Jesus calling Philip and Nathaniel. So, this is kind of Jesus starting to call his disciples, and next week we'll actually get Mark's interpretation of calling disciples. So, we'll be able to compare those two over the next couple of weeks. This first reading, or the Old Testament reading, is from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and possibly 11 through 20. This is the story of Samuel and Eli, where the Lord starts calling Eli and thinking that Samuel is calling him. Verse 10 is that beautiful verse of, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, on the second half of the verse. In the New Testament reading, or the second reading, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. This is kind of Paul's summary of what he's stated so far through the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians. We're going to have uh, 1 Corinthians readings here the next four weeks. But this is a beautiful little passage kind of talking about how God is still our body and that our bodies are still used to exemplify and praise the Lord. So it's a nice little passage and ties in extremely well with the psalm this week. Psalm 139 verses 1 through 6 and 13 through 18. So stanzas 1 and 3. And this has a beautiful verse in verse 13. You've probably heard this multiple times before. For it was you who were formed my inwardmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. A wonderful, beautiful verse A beautiful passage kind of talking about almost the feminine characteristics of God, which we really don't get to see that often. And this is something I thought about kind of going into this a little bit deeper, and I probably easily could. But I thought when I'm looking at these passages, I've kind of picked up a couple trends that I think this week can really exemplify. And that is relationships. And I think it's, for me, it's really obvious kind of looking at with John's gospel. John's gospel is kind of known for having this showing that God is the Messiah or Jesus is the Messiah and that he wants to have this intimate personal relationship with us. And so it kind of got me maybe onto that path to even start with. 
but I kind of see it in two parts we're going to go into. We're going to look at it first from the following leader standpoint, which is very obvious from John's gospel, but I would also argue very much from the first Samuel reading or where God is calling Samuel to kind of be able to tell him actually in this, if you go through 11 through 20, it's more of how Eli's sons have been stealing from the temple, but that he's trying to have this communication with us. The second half I would go into, it kind of ties into the other two passages a little bit more, but I think it still fits within this overarching theme of relationships of how much God loves you and how you need to love yourself and love others. And we're kind of getting into that a little bit more uh, with a different type of example this week. I'm going to use kind of more of a metaphor this week, I think, to be able to explain all this and how I see these passages kind of working out in nature. And so with going back to the following a leader, what, you know, we think about this, this is something we're naturally born with almost this instinct, you know, that there's certain people that kind of have more of this leadership quality. But if you want to look at it, we always have this desire to have a leader. If you look through just world history, we love anointing kings and queens, and even we love electing government. It may be very controversial, but we enjoy feeling like we have that say. But I think you can also see that out in nature in a, in a different way. And what I like doing is looking at birds. And just as a a little about myself, I am a big birder. I love talking about and learning about birds. I've gone birding when it's 20 below. I just love it. I think it's really fun. And with that, I have definitely noticed, but a lot of people have noticed, like ducks are a really easy one, but even birds, like little nesting birds and different things, swallows and and things along those lines, songbirds, we notice how dependent they are and how much they look for a leader. Look at a mother duck leading her chicks across the road or through the lake or the process of loons teaching their young to be able to dive and how you have to have the protection, but you're also still trying to teach them and, and have them grow with that. And I think we can kind of to see that as we go along. But I think there's a very unique case where humans in this case have helped with a species to be able to be that. And I kind of want to use this example in this case, not to pump up the human race, but to using how humans in this case are kind of acting like how God does with us and how In this case, the humans are helping making sure that this species thrives, and it's a continuing process, but it's a process of saving and caring about something and trying to preserve it for future generations. And the bird that I'm talking about this week is the whooping crane, W-H-O-O-P-I-N-G, whooping crane. Highly related to the sandhill crane, if you guys are familiar with this. Now, this is a large bird. We're talking a wingspan of up to seven feet, a height of almost five feet or around that, weighing upwards to 15 pounds, which for a bird is pretty impressive. Uh, Eagles are, you're talking less than five pounds. So to have a bird that's 15 pounds, that's an impressively large 
bird. Now, this bird is a marsh bird. They like standing in marshes. They're going to be eating aquatic vegetation. They're going to be eating amphibians, small vertebrates, you know, kind of important for that ecosystem, kind of helping just eat simple things, kind of help the marsh or bog kind of continue to be where it is. But due to hunting and due to natural processes and different things like this, the whooping crane in the late 1930s, early 1940s in North America, which is where they're located, they were down between 15 to 30 whooping cranes left in the world in the wild. And so biologists looked at this, saw this as kind of an alarming thing. The only other one that's really like it in North America in the crane family is the sandhill crane, which is doing very well. But you like having the diversity and you don't know until it's gone. How is it affecting things? So biologists kind of stepped in. And so what they learned is that these birds are highly impressionable upon human contact. So if a human tried just walking in and just helping these birds, especially as they're young, the birds were just going to become very comfortable around humans. And that wasn't what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure we have a wild population of birds. So in order to do that, they have these whooping crane costumes. And again, I'll attach links on whooping cranes and videos of these costumes. It's pretty incredible. But what they are is imagine kind of like a white sheet, kind of like a ghost, but a better fitting over the person. And one of the hands has this imitation head of a whooping crane. So first to imagine the whooping crane, it's a white bird with a little bit of red on its head. So you're having these white people with one of the arms that looks like the head of the whooping crane. And so what they have done is that they first go through and are helping hatch these birds. They're trying to take even captive populations like at the International Crane Foundation in Baraboo, Wisconsin, trying to get so we can have some of these eggs, get them to be hatched, and then get into these costumes to start teaching them like how to feed. They have to teach them because they don't have a mother or anything there. Teach them how to feed, how to forage for food, how to, you know, get comfortable around water, how to learn to fly. And that's where they use ultralight aircraft videos. If you've ever seen the movie Fly Away Home, where they're using geese, it's kind of a similar process to what they're doing. But the reason they have to do this is they have to teach these cranes the migratory route. Teach them the traditional migratory route that's no longer there or that's there in a very limited capacity. So they've been working on trying to get these birds to come back and have had some success, but it's still considered an endangered species. Today, they're figuring about in the wild, there's about 600 individuals, which is great, but there's still a long way from losing that endangered status. I would say if you're interested in kind of learning some more about this stuff or feel so inclined, there's Operation Migration, 
which is a Wisconsin one, but it's definitely one that they do, or the International Whooping Crane Recovery Plan. But it's this process of how we have benefited and actually helped this population. Now, when I'm talking about this, you know, we look at this and this whooping crane is so dependent on its leader. It's dependent on being able to show them the way, show them how to be a crane, show them how to learn the migratory route. And then the leader has to trust the crane once it's gotten down to its fall migration spot that it's going to get its way home, that it's going to go home. And that's a big risk. That's a big thing for a crane for us to do, but they do it. And it's like how God, with us, helps us grow, help us take these steps that we need to take. And just like a good parent, there's times where you just have to let them go. And it's not that God isn't there. It's not that God doesn't love us. It's that God is needing us to take that next step. And that's part of that relationship, part of that love. And if you kind of look into this, Jesus never forces his disciples to come with him. It's still their choice in a lot of ways. He's showing in this verse where he's talking to Nathaniel, how he's seen him, how he saw this converse, you know, before he had the conversation with Philip, that he's seen this. He has this interaction. But he never tells them, he asks them to come, come and see, come and follow me, but he never forces them. And it's, I think, something really important to see with that. We see that again, where the Lord is persistent with Samuel, persistent. He needs to get this message across, but he never forces it because that's part of that relationship. He wants that type of relationship with us. So the second part kind of gets into loving yourself and loving others. And I'm going to kind of keep with the crane metaphor on this. I have been part of the beautiful thing with where I'm located. Crex Meadows in Grantsburg, Wisconsin has one of the biggest fall migration routes for the other crane here in the North America, the Sandhill Crane. And it's a very, very important spot for fall migration for these cranes coming from upwards in Canada, even as far as Russia flying over to kind of come down this way. It's really remarkable. And I'll also put in footage from the spring migration, which is even bigger, which takes place in like central Nebraska in the flats. And there will be literally thousands of these birds gathered together. And it's really remarkable to go there at sunrise or sunset and just watch these birds hearing this, which a lot of scientists think is one of the oldest birds on the face of the planet. So it's kind of like hearing a dinosaur, really. And it's just amazing to kind of hear this sound, which again, the files I will send with them have the sound if you want to listen to it. This very archaic, you can just almost hear it as an archaic sound. But they're all there. They're just hundreds upon thousands of these birds out there in these marshes, in these shallow lakes. And they wake up with the sunlight and they just start calling and you hear them and hear them. And as the sun comes up, you see more and more of them. And it's like they're just so happy that the day is coming. The day is here. And then you start seeing them you know, start flapping their wings like they're getting them ready to go. They have these cool things where they start jumping up in the air and they're, they'll even have two of them kind of jump up in the air and right next to each other. But it's also this aspect of 
again, the leadership thing, like the first time, it's the matter of who's going to fly, who's going to go, and then they have a group of them go. But I bring this up with the love yourself and loving others as when you look at them and as you hear them calling and interacting with each other, you can't sit but feel the awe and wonder of the whole thing that they want to communicate together, that we don't understand it, but it's this how are you today type of welcoming and that they have to love who they are in order to be calling and that excited. It's one of the only words that I can really think of of describing it as is that you can just tell that they are excited for the day and when they come home at night or come back to that place at night while they're waiting for the migration, building up their strength, feeding throughout the day with groups of them, there's still that excitement, still that, hey, how are you today or how was your day type of feel. And I think it's one of these things that God has that for us. And he wants that relationship with us. And I think the psalm especially is really going through and how he made us so much. He formed the essence of who we are. And he wants to have that relationship with us. And I think there's times that we as Christians totally forget that. I know I forget that. We don't do a great enough job with our prayer life. We don't do a good enough job with reading scripture. We don't do a good enough job about going to church or sharing the word or spending time with brothers and sisters, spending time with non-believers. We just don't spend enough time. There's a lot of things that distract us, that get in the way of all this. And I think there's a point where we have to even look to nature to see how they don't look at the world. They don't look at life that way. And we should look at life maybe similar to like a crate and that we need to live each day for today and praise God for the day that we have been given. So again, thank you for listening to this podcast. I look forward to hearing your feedback and I want to hopefully this is a benefit to you guys. And I'll wrap it up this way. May God bless you through your faith and amaze you through science.